one knows how to play poker. Poker, poker. But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker, poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And welcome again, everybody, to Poker Action Line. Big Dave and Joe, as we come to you from South Florida. And our uh, studio's in Pembroke Pines. We are not far from the Hard Rock. We are really not far from any uh, poker room down here in South Florida. because Nobody all... is. Uh, it's not the proverbial th- uh, uh, throw, uh, throw a, a rock, blanket over. Uh, a ro- uh, no, a rock's throw away. But <laughs> if you get a running start, you might be able to hit most of the casinos. Kind, of, a, a kind of interesting the way things lay out uh, here. Uh, we were just talking about a bunch of the different businesses. And uh, in Miami, you have Magic City highly in Miami Highlight all very close together. Other than probably... About a three-mile radius, I would think. What was that? Three-mile radius. Between Magic City and Hialeah. Hialeah and, uh, and Miami. Miami, it's probably... If you drew a circle around it. If you them. drew a circle around it, you'd be definitely within a five-mile radius from Hialeah to Magic City. I know Ma- Hialeah is more about three and a half miles from, from Hialeah. But if you drew the circle, it'd be, go straight across the circle. That would be the diameter, not the radius. That's true. That's so very true. Three mile radius, I think. Would yeah, come. that's that's about right. Also in uh, Fort Lauderdale, we have Dania Highline, which is uh, back open again for Highline, doing pretty well. And uh, of course, Gulfstream and Magic City. You throw a blanket over those. Three, um, no, Mardi Gras. Mardi, Mardi Gras. Gras. I mean, not Magic Mardi, Gras. Mardi Gras. Those. And then those the Hard Rock like is within within yeah. three miles too. Yeah, the the Hard Rock. The Hard Rock is uh, like I tell people. I go. The Hard Rock is less than ten minute drive. Mardi Gras and Gulfstream are about a five to six minute drive, and then turn it, put in the aisle, maybe fifteen minutes, and most of it is highway, so right, it's pretty right. quick. You know. uh, Mikasuki was the outlier down south and west. Uh, they are closed now. Uh, they you have, are. Yeah, Florida City uh, with six tables down in the south south part of the peninsula, and they're quite a ways away, but uh, really not directly competing with anybody. And then you have the possibility of Calder coming back because they are opening for. A brand new highlight operation on May 22nd. Right, which would probably allow them to reach, uh, you know, people didn't understand why Calder closed. Calder didn't close because, you know, their uh, their their revenue, even though it was down, was, you know, was at a critical point for poker. They just forgot when they moved into the casino and moved the poker room in there that uh, each paramutual had to run a certain percentage of what they ran the year before, and that was at the time when Calder made some sort of deal with Gulfstream to yeah, have Gulfstream their live... Gulfstream meet there for exactly. about 40 races. Yeah, 40 and days. after going... And I tell people, I go, they obviously someone, I don't know if they lost their job over it, but they should have, because after going through the expense of moving the poker room from what was the main grandstand, remember, in Calder, right. into the casino area, I'm sure was not cheap. I mean, you know... I would imagine the move well, probably cost anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand. I never actually got to go in there, but what they realized was they were no longer in compliance with the with the state law of how many performances they had to run to allow the poker room. And, and at the same time, they tore down the grandstand, the mm-hmm. horse racing grandstand, where the old poker room was. Right. So now, when they decide they want to have poker again, there needs to be some sort of regulation that there's a continuous walkway from the casino to the 
to poker or something like well, that? Well, I don't even know if that's part of it. it. It possibly could be. But the biggest problem is when the machines came in, the the uh, the the state law that required you to run X amount of performances was greatly reduced to allow you to keep the the slot machines uh, right. operational. Okay, right. Right. but they never changed it. Now I don't know over the last few years if they've modified that law or not uh, in Tallahassee to allow you to do that. My guess is no, because Calder's never decided to bring back their poker room. Well, that's probably something that may happen down the road here if they get this high-lie season uh, underway and they fulfill a certain amount of dates. Uh, once they decide to get rid of the horse racing and left it up to Hylia to run a few dates there to fill their, their void, you know, you can't go back and build a whole horse racing uh, operation. No, they don't, they don't want to. It's too expensive. Too expensive, right. It's not only that, Dave. If you look at all the numbers... Your biggest expense, you know, the, the parimutuals that have the biggest expenses are racetracks. Right. Because, you know, the the purses, the, the upkeep, you know, the stables. You know, I, I can't even imagine in my head, because I've never had to do that, what it costs. I know how expensive Highline and its prime was. I mean, when we first opened up the poker room and it was a quarter, 50 cents, you know, the biggest expenses as revenue kept continually coming down were what did what was the actually you could answer this better than I do what was what was the um the amount of players that were under contract and I'm not even talking about their high at their heyday you know, time oh at Miami or at where? Miami high well, Miami one time had about 50 players now recently Dania has 36 right now and which is like probably the largest number by far because most of these places like Kings Court and what Calder's going to do and probably what Miami Highlight is doing it has a limited amount of players. Yeah, I think Miami they play like limited amount 20, of but maybe. salaries and everything else with it was that was their largest expenses. I remember Dave when I was part of Mutuals also uh when Mr. Skip if you remember Mr. Philip Skip you know he broke it down for me one night, and this is when our numbers were, you know, plummeting very largely at that time. The, the sport was dying out. Is we needed to do thirty-five thousand dollars in handle per performance just to break even on the players. That did not include, you know, electricity, water, and all the, all the other all the other things that take place to run a business. Right. Okay, that was just to pay off the tellers. Uh, the highlight players and some of the maintenance crews and everything else, and we were having difficulty getting to twenty and twenty-five thousand on many performances. Right, right. And you know, it's it's a sad state, Dave, yeah, because you know that you were there. You yeah. worked there. For I many worked there years when we did two hundred fifty thousand every every performance. Well, and, no, and then I, on I, the weekends, maybe double that. No, well, th- th- what I was told, and I never actually discussed this with you, but. I was told when they had Fridays and Saturday matinee and, and evening performances that when the when the the two performances combined, if they handled a million dollars in handle, which remember paramutuals are usually because most of the betting is exotic bets, meaning exactas, trifectas, superfectas, whatever. You're keeping almost 26 percent of the of, yeah. of the pool. So if we win places show was at 20 percent. But most people didn't play that, so if you hit a million dollars in handle between the two of them, more than likely you were keeping a quarter of a million dollars yeah. for yourself. And guys were getting 
drinks and stuff up at the Free corner. Drinks. Uh, yep, you that go. was the whole thing. The uh, restaurant would put out some of whatever food <laughs> was left over as a buffet. Yeah, if we did like if we did like four hundred and eighty thousand in the matinee, we knew we were pretty much guaranteed to go over a million. So because they were happy, yeah. made their plans for the free drinks after, and then we would run late, and we would be like twelve thirty, one o'clock. So it'd be one o'clock before we'd have the free drinks. But <laughs> that was okay too. Anyway, those are the old days at Highlight. Um, that's not what we're talking about tonight. Just wanted to bring up the fact that we do have a lot of po- close poker rooms and a lot of competition in this town. And the, the subject I want to get into tonight in our kind of probably our middle segment, and that is this article that uh, came out uh, on Card Player today that I read. Not not today, but I guess in the last couple of days. Anyway, it was a it was an it was an article quoting extensively uh, uh, Osmus. Uh, Jeremy Osmus, who uh, has been a November Niner before, he finished second here at the Hard Rock at one of the Big Four tournaments. Uh, the other player that weighed in was Chad Power, who's from Maryland, and uh, uh, he is also a big-time player. But there are these private games that are being played everywhere, and I don't want to get into this right this second, so uh, don't don't. Don't make no comments. All right, I'll, I'll just stop. I'll just say you're teasing the audience that the uh, these private games, which can be twenty-five, fifty, uh, fifty, a hundred, maybe even. <laughs> Power said he had a couple games that were a thousand, two thousand for the big blinds. Uh, yeah, the well, and they've been games like this in the past in, in Vegas. But there's regular games here locally that, uh, and the players who set them up recruit their players and basically tell a lot of people they can't play. So they, uh, if they don't want a good player coming in, it's not a regular in their game. They can uh, keep them out of the game. And there's a big question on to what effect this is going to have long term on the on the game of poker. But I want to talk about that in the middle part of the show. Uh, we'll start things off by uh, some news about both uh, the WSOP uh, series. The first, the uh, Vegas series, of course, starts later this month. We're less than a month away. May 28th is the uh, beginning of the World Series of Poker out at the Rio in Las Vegas this year. And they also, last week on Wednesday, released the circuit uh, schedule, which just came out. Uh, that begins right after the World Series concludes in the middle of July uh, at Choctaw Durant in the Dallas uh, area inside Oklahoma, but just outside of Dallas. And there was a full schedule this year of uh, 35 different stops in the World Series of Poker. And I did want to mention, because uh, the last year they had uh, two events at the Coconut Creek on the circuit after years at the Palm Beach Kennel Club. Palm Beach Kennel Club. Uh, Then they moved down to uh, Seminole in Hollywood, and they brought in... uh, Coconut Creek the last couple of years for two tournaments, one in September, one in February. Which which they which ran two at the aisle also for, the last, for a short while. For the, exactly. Um, but this year they will have the Coconut Creek event in September once again, September the 19th through the 30th. This, this is the first release of all the dates here, by the way. And then in February, 6th through the 17th is Seminole Hard Rock Tampa. For the first time. Oh, okay. So their first circuit event will be in February, and that's be great for the people in South Florida to drive up there. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive, something like that. And uh, it'll be fun uh, for Tampa, which is a very nice facility. And I haven't there is seen a lot it. I know you have, but yeah, I have not seen it. And there's a lot it. of competition up there as well, no question. But uh, they are making their big splash into major tournaments, so we'll see what happens up there. Uh, should be fun, though. Uh, so that means that Coconut Creek is only going to have one tournament on this schedule. And none on the Seminole Hard Rock, but of course they have their 
WPT event. Yeah, they, their they, poker they, open, which is huge. They're in bed with two different big tournaments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're we're not going to run down all the all the dates, but a lot of the familiar places. A lot of them have two of them: several horseshoe facilities, Baltimore, uh, Hammond outside of Chicago. Um, Tunica, a lot of the regular places are back again. Bossier City, which is basically Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, Harris Atlantic City and Valleys and all kinds of places. But uh, 35 events uh, will uh, be played next year, beginning July the 17th through the 29th at Choctaw and concludes at the end of the year at, uh, let's see, the last event is the Global Casino Championship, which will once again be in Harris, Cherokee in North Carolina. But uh, great facilities, kind of a mini minor league of highlight, or not highlight, of, <laughs> of, of, of poker, I guess you might say, you know, lower buy-ins, maybe not quite as skilled players, but still first-class well, professional type tournaments that are run yeah, very well. Yeah, just, just, just because the buy-ins are a little less doesn't mean... You don't have some high-quality poker players playing in these things. It's, you know, it's... I have seen some outstanding play. We've even talked about a lot of great players that we know have been on the big stage playing in some of these yeah, three, four hundred dollars. That started exactly, on those. And, they, and there's some that play the World Series of Poker, play big events. They'll play a ten thousand. Your competitive come nature comes in. It's almost like a tune-up, maybe. You know, no, exactly. I want to see if I got my my reading skills correct, and if I, you know, my everything else. It's, you know, hey. They send they send major leaguers when they're they're on the IL to uh, to the minors to to rehab and to to get their get their batting eye back and everything else. What's to say you can't do that in poker? Kind of get that feel back and get that those juices flowing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, along those lines, uh, one of the players we've been talking about a lot that's been playing very well on the circuit is Maurice Hawkins, who we've had on the show several times, and uh, is. Uh, trying to become the uh, biggest winner on the uh, World Series of Poker circuit. Uh, Valentin Vornik, who uh, kind of passed him, he won two in one series and took the lead 12 to 11. Uh, last uh, month, and well, I guess about two weeks ago, Maurice won a big tournament. And tied him. And, and to won his 12th ring. Well, this past weekend in Tunica, Maurice won another one and now has 13 right. career rings. Him. Good so. for him. What do we call that, one for the big toe? (laughs) One for the middle toe. I don't know what you call it once he gets to 21. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But he's from West Palm Beach, and uh, he travels all over to these events. Uh, He'll play uh, World Series of Poker this year and will be a big one for him. But he comes and goes at different places. He won this tournament at Tunica and uh, collected 31000 It was one of the smaller events, not the... uh, it, not not the main event. It was the $400 No Limit Hold'em Monster Stack tournament uh, at Tunica. And he defeated Hamid Azadi and Rex Klinkscales uh, were the uh, second and third place finishers in that tournament. So um, they are uh, continuing with their main event coming up, I guess. And uh, they will be going ahead and finishing up that tournament. But they did release their schedule. It is available. I got this on Card Player Magazine, a story. Uh, written there. They will be using the big blind ante at all their stops. And they've also, uh, this is something quite quite a bit different. They have decided to increase the standardized percentage that gets paid out in these tournaments by 50%. Uh, 
Uh, used to be 10% of the field got paid. Now 15% of the field gets paid. Yeah, they've been moving towards that a little bit. You know, the, Remember the WSOP, I think, has started doing that in the main event where about 15% right. of them get right, paid. Right, that went up too. Uh, but they will use the big blind ante. Good move? I think so. I, You know, it just makes life easier. You don't have think about it. You yourself said I was always being chastised when we went to play in the horse tournament because you weren't, you know, anting up. And it's just inevitable that people forget the dealer's not paying attention, and all of a sudden you count and you go, "Oh, this is short," and everybody at the table saying, "I put up my ante," you know. So now it's simple: no ante, it's one person. I think it's wonderful, a wonderful idea. You're going to have to put it up anyway. So certainly speeds the game the, up. The only time that it becomes, not to say a problem, but hey, just the draw, you know, the luck of the draw is, if you're short, I mean, a short stacked, and you become short stacked in a hand because you lose a big hand, and all of a sudden now you don't have two or three hands to hold on to an extra whatever amount of the blinds are for six or seven, eight people, nine people at the table. So that's the only negative feedback of that that you know you got to post it all up at one shot and if and if you get caught when you're short stacked i'm sure those people are not very happy about it but i think it just makes for tournament life so much more simple and i think that's why it's catching on right everywhere i guess the, what's the policy if you don't have enough the, to cover both the the bl- your, blinds your, well same thing as if it happened where you don't have the blinds or the full amount of the annies I would imagine it would be short, but actually that's a tremendous question because what happens exactly? Well, I did read the policy on that. No, did I you? I, no, I would I love to know it. it because I have not seen it, so that I didn't even think about that. But you're right. What happens if? What happens if the person who's got to put up the annies? Forget about being the big blind. He doesn't have enough to cover the ante. Yeah. In my whole research today, I did have the answer to that, but I just now left my now. Brain. I know that I know that when it was just the blinds and the antes, if you were either the big or the short bl- uh, blind, and you didn't have enough, well, uh, let's say let's say it was you know five thousand, ten thousand, and you only had four thousand in the big blind, it's still ten thousand to call for for the action to continue around. But then it's like the all-in. Dealer brings in 4000 from whoever's in there. If you covered, obviously you would have had to have covered whatever annies if there were any at that time. And that's what you're eligible to win. You can never win more than, than what you've got in front of you per player. Also, uh, as we get closer to the World Series of Poker, uh, the news coming out about how many events, uh, what the full schedule is. Uh, there will be nine online events and 80 live events, so wow. a total of 89 bracelets this year. That's the most ever by far. There was only 78 last year. Well, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be. I don't know if I'm gonna be the first one, but I'm gonna predict that next year is gonna be about a hundred of them. Yeah, <laughs> very possible. Uh, they're also adding short deck poker, uh, the deck with 36 cards where they take out the smaller cards. There will be a $10,000 short deck no limit hold'em event this year, uh, becoming very popular. A lot of players like that, uh, but uh, that will be big. And there's a lot of new events, including a couple of uh, charity events. The Gavin Smith Memorial Poker Tournament will be one uh, that will be a $200 buy-in on May 28th to kind of kick off the series. There will also be one for Salute to Warriors. And the Deep Stack events, which uh, you can play in the evening, uh, will be changed as well. So we'll get to some of those details later in the program. 
kind of close things out. Also, talk a little bit about the coverage, TV coverage, and what's going to happen there. So stick around for that. Uh, before we go to break, I do want to mention, uh, well, I, th- I tell you what, we'll take a break, we'll come back. But I did want to mention the EPT Monte Carlo tournament. So we'll, we'll cover that when we get back. We'll give you the winner. And a great handout of that, uh, played by uh, Ryan Reese. And uh, great call. So I want to run that past Joe when we come back. But we'll take our first break on the show. And we'll spend some time talking about uh, these private games that are being played at public casinos, public card rooms, and whether they're good or bad for the game in the long run. We'll be back with more of the show when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line, and we'll be right back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. This is the sound of a brand new outdoor grill being hurled off a 20-story building. Now a stylish glass coffee table. An electric guitar. These are the things you could enjoy all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Visit energysavers.gov and get tips on how to save energy and money. Then do things like switch to Energy Star light bulbs or Energy Star appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. So this doesn't happen to the recliner you've had your eye on, or this to the treadmill on your wish list, or this to the shiny new bike your kid's been asking for. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Android and iPhone users, download the WFO Radio app. It's sports radio for racing fans. Thank you, I appreciate it. The ultimate ultimate racing racing show, including WFO Radio NHRA Nitro, WFO Radio Ignition, the WFO Radio NASCAR Tailgate Party, news, videos, push notifications, and more. I just hope I'm part of it. Go to the App Store or Android Market, search WFO Radio, and download it now. now. Back to the show, Big Dave and Joe, and talking. Uh, wanted to talk briefly about the uh, EPT tournament in Monte Carlo that just finished. Uh, Manic Loser was the uh, champion over there, but uh, there was a hand that stood out for them a little bit for me. Um, Lozer uh, was a, pretty much a short stack. Well, I think that's was fourth place heading into the uh, final table. Ryan Reese right behind him, the former world champion from Michigan that uh, won the uh, World Series of Poker with the Calvin Johnson jersey on. Remember that a yes, few years ago? Yes, yeah, from, from Detroit. And uh, there were still uh, several other players with pretty good stacks in the tournament. So he uh, went from fourth place up to first. He's from Germany, by the way. And he ended up winning the tournament, uh, winning 603,000 euros. Wee Wang was in second. Victor Katzenberger, Ryan Reese finished fourth. Nicola Greico took fifth. Luis Medino was in sixth. 
but there was a hand there that people called one of the sick uh, one of the sick calls of the year. So I wanted to uh, quickly run that down. It involved Ryan Reese. Um, the blinds were 100,000, 200,000, and Reese only had 1.4 million. So he's down okay. uh, pretty slow, pretty low. Yeah, he's got seven big seven blinds. blinds uh, and he only had a million after he posted the big blind. Uh, and and uh, the big blind ante and his natural big blind. So, you know, that was a hand that he That's really needed to play. one of the hands that I told now, you about, this right. Is, this is very uh, impactful on the action. But uh, he played Lozer, who was in the small blind. And he completed when it came around, and Reese checked his option uh, and was holding uh, ten of spades, deuce of clubs. I can tell you that. Uh, the action uh, was checked around to the river on the on the uh, board. Uh, check, check, check all the way around. The the flop was Jack nine eight, giving uh, up and down straight draw for uh, Reese. Uh, two diamonds in there. Uh, there was another Jack on the turn and a nine on the river. So there's really no more betting. So it's not just that much of a huge pot. But yeah, Reese no was getting low, uh, was getting short stacked. He uh, on the on the river with two nines and two jacks on the board. Lozer put Reese all in for his last nine hundred eighty thousand. So just holding ten deuce, he uh, failed on the straight, and they had really nothing else. He had Jackson nines with a ten kicker. Right. Uh, he used a time extension chip. Finally decided to make the call. And won the hand because his Loser was holding six deuce. There you go. <laughs> and actually, I thought it was a good move by the person who did that because he knows that if Reese had had, had anything, he might have taken a stab at it earlier. Right. And he's just putting Reese on a very weak hand since he didn't push all in or raise the big blind since it was just blind against blind. But do you want to take your last stand there knowing that all he had to hold was a nine or a jack, uh, no, know, queen he, or yeah, queen, s- seven? A king, uh, uh, pretty much anything uh, would have won the hand for him. So you might say, you know, hey, you know, I, 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 there's no reason to take a stab at this. There's a good chance he has it. He's going to be uh, the small you know, blind. How many people were left in the tournament five, at that time? Five. So he's got, he's got three hands before... He's got absolutely nothing. He's forced to go in. This actually, I mean, it is a sick call, but you're sitting there thinking, my opponent could have been dealt a 4-5, made the continuation bet. I didn't raise. There's a lot There's a lot to go into that. And, again, shorthanded at this point. The opponent didn't try to get him out of there earlier. I guess he, he was like, Who's going to be the first one to step up? And the, his opponent stepped up, and well, then he then, goes, "Wait a minute, you know." Then here's the question: Could Lozer have just, uh, you know, after the flop, uh, gotten rid of him by uh, making a raise? I well, not making a raise, just making a bet. Well, yeah, the guy making should, a bet. Obviously, uh, right? He would have made a bet because Lozer would have been first to okay, act. He would have been first to act. Line, You're right. So he's yeah. making a bet. So he makes. Any yeah, kind of I bet. think he could have. But he's in no position because if he makes a or bet, he, if he makes a bet and Reese decides to go all in after him, okay, then Reese he's knows he's only going to call him if he actually has a hand. If not, he just threw away some chips. He waited till there was no bets. He's he's got to be figuring if Reese had anything, he's going to try to get me to make a call on him since he's short, so short stacked. 
there's a lot of thought process going into this, and Reese being a, a main event winner and obviously a tremendous poker player, figured this is a good chance for me to double up based on a guy trying to steal from me, even though I don't have much of a hand here, you know, and that's, you know, if even if the guy, his opponent had pocket eight, he still beats him with the ten, because the eights won't play, you know. Okay. Again, one of these, you're short, so short stack, you got to say, yeah, this guy's more than capable of trying to get me out of here with absolutely nothing in his hand. So he comes into the hand with 1.4 million, now he has 2.8 million with a double up. Maybe he's back in the competition. There's not a Cinderella well, story to be told here. Well, he's 14 big blinds, but when you're only 4-5 handed, yeah. 14 big blinds comes around very quick, especially yeah. when you, you know. Well, uh, the bottom line here is that he did, instead, he was the short stack, I guess, at the time. He did finish fourth in the tournament instead of fifth. So picked up an extra whatever, 60000 At that point, you got to make a move. I, You know, listen, it. it it would have been a sick call if it had been a $20 million wager and he made that call with $20 million, you know, and said, okay, I, I, I believe my opponent's really bluffing me. You know, I don't, I, it's still a great call, but, I, you know, I'm sure Ryan was like, well, either I make the call now and catch this guy bluffing me and, you know, he's maybe he's playing a 6-7 in his hand, you know, whatever he could have. Okay, I don't know if this rubs salt in the wound, but immediately after Reese gets eliminated in fourth place, the other three guys make a chop. <laughs> no, well, the other three guys were. Lozer was the big stack. He gets the biggest prize and, and credited with a win. But wins the other six, three seven, players six. that were in there, did, did they have a resume similar to Ryan Reese? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. Okay, so you know. Uh, they got rid of the hardest competition. I don't know what the stack sizes were at that point, but you know, obviously we know the 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 money jump is big as you keep moving up, especially when you're down to three-handed. So yeah. you know, again, does it rub salt in the wound? I don't think that does that anything for Reese. I'm sure he realized he was still short stacked. Yeah, and uh, he was going to be out anyway. You know, they got him okay. out, and they said, okay, maybe Reese didn't want to make a deal prior. Figuring he's, you know, he's 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 a superior player. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this other article that I wanted to uh, get into here, as uh, basically the protagonists uh, on each side of the decision. Chad Power, uh, who I know was also involved in a big uh, argument with uh, uh, the female player uh, Kate Hall, that uh, he said that she still owed him some makeup. Uh, and there was a t- little Twitter war there for a couple of days uh, online. But he is a player from uh, Maryland that uh, is a pretty big-time player. And the other one who says that pri- these private games are killing the poker dream uh, is Jeremy Osmus. Uh, you don't necessarily agree with that, I guess. No. Uh, but there are games, uh, and there's going to be plenty of cash games, so we'll see what the effect uh, is on this out there. Uh, where they have these games, and there may be people keeping others out of the game because you don't want too many good players in there. Okay, now you know. As tell you me, tell me first of all, uh, what kind of control the house has on you know they obviously they want these big games coming on a regular basis. So if you have guys that that have a table, do you help them protect that game? It's not a matter of you helping to protect that game as as a, as a manager. If you know that 
these players are coming to your establishment when they can go to any other establishment. Okay, these people are all playing time. You know, it's not like the house is making a lot of money. What you're hoping to do is to draw, I would imagine, some form of loyalty, maybe them bringing in enough players where you can get two and maybe three tables or a continual game, get a buzz in your poker room, Dave, you know. But these games are usually at a level where, you know, to say it's killing the poker dream, you know, for me... It's hard for me to imagine that because the average player, you know, the average poker Joe... Can find another game elsewhere. Can not only find another game, but the average poker Joe is not investing this kind of money. I mean, he's... The private games that I'm... Listen, I'll give you the example that we have here in Miami. I have a game that, like, they love to play the game 2-5. They'll play it with a mandatory button straddle... Uh, you know, Mississippi straddle where the button automatically has to put up a thing and then somebody else could straddle, you know, double that straddle or or put it up. We allow it up to even half of your stack to get the action going. And when this game gets formed, usually it's six to seven players that are consistently in this game. And they'll call friends or other poker players that they know that they want invited to this game and they don't want anybody else in that game. Yes, I've had complaints. I'm not going to lie to you. I've had many people complain, go, man, I came here to play, and, you know, you guys are not letting us play that. But they've come up to me or to, you know, my manager and said, listen, we want this to be a private game. We want only our people, the people we want playing in this game. The obvious reason for that, Dave, is usually in some of these games, there's one or two really good players that know when to loosen up. The rest are for lack of a better word, very loose, you know, players that have very large bankrolls and don't have a problem. They're in it for the excitement and the joy, believe it or not. They're fish. Yeah, they're, they, yes, I don't want to use the word fish because they know how to play, but, but, but they don't play tight. They're, they're willing to gamble, put it this way. They're cons- and some are, and some are, And some are fish. They're consistent losers because they don't know when to get out of their own way. Right. Okay. And the good players know how to milk this. You understand? Because they know how to play that game. It becomes... The big thing with those games, Dave, if you're in a poker room, okay, is it's usually the most fun table <laughs> in the poker room. Right. Especially in our place that we you know, we have a different sort of clientele with the, the loud uh, uh, Latin machismo and the laughing and the drinking and... You know, it, it it almost seems like a party, like a private party. That, for lack of a better word, I think that's actually a good way to describe it. It's like a private party. So, uh, you know, people have tried to come in. No, we don't want them. Most of the people that they don't want in there are players that they know to be extremely tight or extremely good. And usually down here when you're playing in those type of games, you got to be both because you know that if you keep putting money in, chasing things. So these people want... People could come in there that are good. You could be a good player, but if you're a very loose player, they know that they can take all your they could they, they you know they could take all your money on, on any particular session that you're playing poker, Dave, because you're willing to mix it up and gamble. Okay. As far as the legality goes, uh, this uh, law school professor uh, from Gonzaga that writes for a card player said, you know, as far as he knew, that there was really no regulations in most places on how a card room maintains their list. So they're really not breaking the law. 
Um, it is, he said, it is kind of discrimination, but it's not, uh, it's discrimination based on skill, not on race, religion, sex, uh, you know, sexual orientation, whatever. Right, so, it's not based so on any of the so normal... So therefore it's not really illegal. Exactly, and I, so far we haven't been told anything here in the state of Florida concerning something like that. Uh, yeah, you risk the, you risk pissing off a lot of players. I used to love having this game because in the past when I ran the room back in 2012, we used to get, I always used to tell people, our 2-5 game played like a 10-25 and higher because of the action and the and the craziness. Right. And I started to allow them to, you know, they, can we do this? And I know that there was within the regulations of the state. So I said, hey, you guys want to play like this? Go ahead. What I started to notice was my brushes were being told by some of the top players, hey, when so-and-so comes in, when these people come in, give me a call, and we're going to come down here. And what all of a sudden became one table, soon became two, three, and even four. Now, the funny part was, the main table, what I call the main table, right, would come in, and people would come in. They're dying to get in there. They know these people are not going anywhere for a very long time. And, I, and when I say these people, I'm talking about the people that they're chasing for the money. Right. But they don't want to sit around and do absolutely nothing for hours on end. So they'll form their own game. And then so I want to be on the transfer can list. I, can I be moved to this uh, table? Right, right. I want to be first on the transfer list. So it was so funny. I'd get two to three other tables besides the main table, and I'd have 18 players between, the, the let's say, the 27 players that were playing on the other three tables all requesting to be moved to, the, to what I said, the main table, to where the action table was. But that being said, those games were also big action on their own. It, 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 it was just it kind of uh, becomes a two-headed monster on its own. It, be, it, it, it forms and it breathes and, 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 you know, and it comes to life on its own. And that's what I loved about my room back then because once you get that reputation, Dave, all of a sudden you start seeing players that you know that play at other places making the trip all the way from North Broward down into Miami, okay? People that were always playing at, at at the Hard Rock when it was first starting. So as a as a manager, you want to encourage those type of games to draw the business. I I want to encourage it to the point where, you know, again, right now, it's not to say it's a detriment, but it's not. It, it's a more of a hindrance right now because I've had some people get upset and not come back uh, because we're not drawing enough people from it. That's due to the fact that we've been away for so long and just getting started again. So it's it's kind of like we have to crawl before we can walk and walk before we can run yeah. right now. But I'll be honest with you, in a perfect world, I'd love to get back to what I had back in 2012 where we didn't even dream of having these games. It formed. It's craziness. It's, it, I'm telling you, the room is super loud. But I saw the benefits of it as as more players wanted to get into yeah. that game. All of a sudden, they're in my room. They don't want to go anywhere else. Let's start another table. The uh, legality question, just to close that out, uh, there was uh, one state, Louisiana, that had recently en enacted a law that would prohibit a casino from excluding patrons based on their skill level. So, uh, so how, you, how do you make that judgment well, call? That's true. That's a how, very tough How call. can I make that judgment call? Right. How, how can somebody come and say, how do I know that you're a wonderful player? How how do I know that you're a great player or a terrible player? 
you know, the, the, is, is there a is there a chart that I can look up yeah, and, exactly. and see this? Hard to determine, which makes your job a little bit tougher. But these are basically private poker games in a public card room. Do you act, actually want the players who organize these games walking around and recruiting players for their game? You know? No, no, no. It's not a matter of I'm walking around in your room and recruiting, although that does happen. Because they'll see a good player playing on another one because their table was full, and then all of a sudden, that's what—that's where the problem comes in. Actually, that's a great question, Dave. That's where the problem comes in. Their game is full; it's nine or ten handed, depending how many seats you're going to put on the table. Everybody's good, but now all of a sudden, one, two, three people go broke. They're—they're they're tapped out for the night. They're not reaching into their pockets, going to the ATM, and taking any more money out. Now they see. A player that they know can afford to play in this game is playing over there, and then they get up, hey, come on, come to our table. Now you're pissing off everybody at that other table because yeah. you are recruiting. Yeah. That does become a problem, and we have to put a stop to that because I'm not going to have them recruiting. I told them, I said, if it's a private game, then you tell me who's, who's allowed. Don't tell me if somebody who's already playing oh, on yeah. another table okay. is allowed to play in your game. Nor do you want them to be able to say, when you see another guy that's on the transfer list, maybe near the top, and then say, oh, that guy's pretty good. Uh, can, you, can you skip him? Yeah. That, well, first of all, I wouldn't have a transfer list to that table unless they had four people that walked into my room and said, Where are we? oh, these guys want to play in our game, but our game is full now. So they're going to sit down. These four are specific. But don't have me have four or five players playing on other one-two games or two-five games and then all of a sudden, because you've lost some of your fishes or some of your people have gone broke on your game, you're getting up and going, hey, come on, we got a damn seat open on this table. Come on over, because now, you, now you're just pissing off the, the, my regular one, two, two, five players. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, because of these practices, do you see bad blood and maybe even fist fights going on because of this? I've have seen I have seen people get up. Not, not, not fist fights. It hasn't gotten to that what happened was one time when they lost enough players, we, you know, I told them, I said, listen, you can't do this. I'm not going to have you. So if people are here and they want to transfer, they come to the table. One guy got, and he had been drinking, and he just got very upset, and he didn't even lose a hand to this guy. But he, because this guy beat somebody else, he got upset and left. And then once when we did this, there's one particular player, he walks in, and when they haven't told me it's a private game, you sit wherever there's a seat open if you're available. This guy sat in that table, and seven players just literally stood up, grabbed their chips, and left, and left him sitting by himself on the table. Wow. So I can, I, I, I can almost see a game of musical chairs where if someone gets knocked out of that, uh, that game that everybody wants to get in, the guys are running over and, knock, and bumping into each other uh, with a half, yeah. a half a cheek on the seat. But remember, it's so funny because when the people that they are chasing for the money that have the deep pockets are out of the game... No one then wants to transfer anymore. You understand? Usually by the time somebody wants to transfer, eight out of ten times it's because the bad people have lost their money. Every now and then, the bad person, and again, they have to. If, these, if the bad players don't win, you know, 10 to 15, 20% of the time, eventually they get tired. I don't care how deep your pockets are. It's no longer fun. It's no longer fun. These people, as long as they're having fun, and that's what these other players are very good at making sure that they're comfortable if they're getting agitated because they're losing they've gone from 
stepping outside and coming back uh, a little glassy-eyed and uh, feeling a lot, a lot less pain. They, whatever the situation is, they always try to make sure these people are calm. And, you know, if if they happen to lose their temper that day and, and, and getting upset, the you know, the, the good players are always trying to, you know, like the Spanish people, they pasarle la mano, just pass their hands and try to pacify them. So. Well, let's explore a little bit Ausmus's uh, Aus- uh, outlook that it's a bad for the game of poker. Uh, he says... Uh, it's going to kill live poker. The mid-stakes are going to be dead because there's not going to be any money to be made. He said those players are going to go play lower, like at 510, and then those games get way tougher. So someone else is going to have to start a private game and steal more players. Well, like I said, he's talking about levels that you don't see too often down here because, again, the two, a lot of the 2-5 games down here are played like 1025. He's probably talking more about rooms like in Vegas, especially when there's special uh, tournaments like the WSOP or, you know, any of these other, you know, the Five Diamond Classic, you know, where it brings in a lot of high-level players. Usually the higher-limit players that, in my experience, and again, it's down here more to South Florida, are a group, it's a, it's a, it's a small, defined group of players that play at wherever they feel most comfortable, where they feel safe. Okay, and again, the high games that I know of down here, you know, those are, as we like to say, those are close to nosebleed section, you know, uh, uh, poker players. So you're not really affecting the large population of poker players. You know, if you're a one-two player, if you're ascending to move up, but you're a good player, first of all, you're going to have to put some risk out there. You're going to have to have uh, you're going to have to have a very nice bankroll to be able to get into these games. So, the games that that, that Jerry's talking about aren't so much here. Let's say down here in South Florida, because yes, they do have private games. As you know, you work at Dania. I worked at Dania. There's a private game there. They rarely let any any strangers in there. In the, in the time that I was there. They set up their own rules. It got to a point where it was a button straddle. They finally just got rid of the blinds, and they said, okay, the button has to put up $50, and it goes from there. And then anybody can straddle. And, you know, but these are people that are bringing $150,000, $200,000 to the casino. Well, Power, who defends uh, basically this type of thing, says uh, he's worked on his networking skills. He said you don't really have to concentrate on uh, Game Theory Optimal or uh, reading other tells, he said, networking is a skill I can actually come to uh, say is more valuable. Uh, playing a certain style that is looser and less profitable in a normal game, it's actually better to play a worse style and network harder to just try and uh, get people involved in your games. And he also says, it's not just about skill. He said, you know, that's a kind of a generalization. He said, you know, you get people that play in the game, there'll be no money in the pod, and they'll take eight seconds to make an easy decision. Those are people you don't want in your that, Well, that's yeah, exactly, because that's what happens in these private, in, in what I call the private games, games that I've dealt actually in private homes, okay? There's a lot of work that goes into running these games, Dave. I used to see it all the time. Now, the work is in the recruitment. It's You're constantly on the phone. Big difference back then was... Either the house guy was giving you a cut or you were running the house and you were making the, 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 the lion's share of the money there, okay? Now, it's a, hey, I, I, I'm willing to take a lot less here, not not look like the, the world champion player that I am to make these people happy because, 
you know, it's it's like I used to tell dealers. I go, you know, you don't want to gouge the players when they're over tipping you and stuff like this because you want to eat every day. And some of these games are like that. You you don't want to just take it all one day because you know that if you take it little by if you bleed them little by little, you're going to take more money over the long haul. Right. And there's a lot of different skill sets, like you said, by networking, by, you know, personality, getting a good mix of people that. You know, will have a great time. You could have somebody lose fifty, a hundred thousand dollars at a game and just had the time of his life, yeah. and wants to come back. You have somebody else who loses ten thousand dollars is so freaking miserable, and you know, it's, it, it's just bad mouthing the game. Again, you have to get the right blend of people into those games to make them successful and to be able to sustain them over a, a, a lengthy you know, period of time. And he actually, Power, who plays, by the way, at MGM uh, outside of Baltimore, uh, MGM National, I guess it's called, uh, National Harbor. Uh, but he says, uh, hey, we're not poaching people from games. We're just giving them another option. That's it. I, as long as that's the case, but again... If you're telling me no one's coming into my game unless they're invited by us, but now you're taking players that are sitting at other tables that you didn't tell me when they walked in the room that, hey, you know, when, when we lose a player, he's one of the ones we want coming over here. You know, that's where it becomes a big issue. And that's something that, as a manager, I wouldn't want to do that. I'm willing to accommodate you in any way that you want me to for a private game. Because, like I said, mentioned earlier, I believe it helps me bring other table, uh, other games, and an excitement that is created because of the pots. That I believe, in the long haul, really help my other games get to that point where I'm maximizing my rake on almost every single hand, and people talking about the room. And again, you get people talking about that room, Dave. They will come, and once you got, you know, that's that's more than half the battle. Once they're in the poker room. You're going to get them to play something. How about the difference out in Vegas where there's so many cash games going on at the Rio and these huge rooms with dozens and dozens of tables? I, I mean, it just shows how little I know really about the game on what game I would ask to be in. Uh, you know, I would obviously be playing probably a 1-2 uh, no-limit game, but, you know, I would be a player that if people know how I played, they probably be welcoming me into the game. Yeah, but Dave, here's the difference. Okay, fine. You and I can both be... Me, mediocre to bad players, but we're limited by our bankroll yeah. as to how much we're willing to risk and play. Right. You know, Osmus is talking about games that, you know, I would have, I don't know what the average buy-in is, but I would imagine that most people aren't sitting down with less than five to ten thousand dollars to yeah. play these games. I actually, I it's actually, been a long time since I've I've done something like that. A very long time. I and actually heard a, a, a dealer at Dania talking the other day, and he said we have this one game where I'm pushing pots to people that's more money than I make in a year. Forget in a year. I've pushed pots at Dania when I was there that I'm more money than I could make in two years, for the most part, as a dealer. I've pushed pots of $180,000. Like I said, when you've got kids that are coming in, I have pushed enough pots in a half-hour push, Dave, that the total of those pots that I pushed is, you know... My guess would be somewhere between one point five to two million dollars, and you're talking about in a half an hour push period. Yeah, you know, so that's more money than most people. Yeah. Could, some people make in a lifetime. Interesting, interesting discussion. Uh, we'll certainly see what happens out in Vegas this year. There should be some talk about that, I would think. Uh, but uh, real, real quick before you get into that, 
Think about what we used to talk about six, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago before the before Black Friday hit, and we were talking about Tom Dwan and some of these guys. I can't remember their their uh, call yeah. names on the on these sites. Isildur, Isildur, and all these guys that were looking at pots that were over a million dollars heads up. Yeah, remember right. we were talking about those pot those hands. Right. This in comparison seems like uh, penny ante now that we're talking about compared to what these guys were playing online and. Somehow getting those funds transferred before everything, you know, before everything, you know, yeah. hit, hit the shitter over there. It's amazing the amount of money that's uh, come into this game. There's no question. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll finish things up, talk a little bit about the World Series of Poker schedule and what's going to be happening out there this summer. And we'll finish things up when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line. You can always pick us up on our website at PokerActionLine.com. You can pick us up on SoundCloud, good place to get the show. Uh, rate the show, sign up uh, as a follower. Uh, certainly, we'd love to have you do that as well. Or you can go to any of the places where you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some of the other places like that as well. So we'll be back with more to finish up the show, actually, when we return. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer could purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. I always wanted to be a fireman, a pilot, a teacher. But the rising cost of college was a big reality check. That's why I joined the National Guard. The Guard gives me money for college. So I can go to school full-time and fly part-time. My unit helps out after a natural disaster hits, so I get to help people just like I always wanted. There's no bigger rush than being a firefighter in the Guard. Than flying a Blackhawk. Than leading my squad. Thanks to the Guard, I'm becoming who I always wanted to be. Call 1-800-GO-GUARD and ask us how much you'll receive towards your college expenses. Welcome back. Final segment of the show. Uh, World Series of Poker starts on May 28th. We'll take a look at a little bit of what's happening out there. Uh, as I mentioned, 89 bracelet events this year. Joe says it'll be over 100 next year. Uh, they finish up 
on July the 16th. Of course, it's all at the Rio this year, maybe for the last time. Uh, we'll see what happens. This is the 50th uh, World Series of Poker. Wow. Of course, the first one had like about 12 guys, I think. But uh, Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, grew, by, <laughs> it grew by 30% because they could go to 13, 16. <laughs> and then the big year, of course, was uh, the Moneymaker year uh, that Chris Moneymaker won. Well, the that was the year that like it changed. But the, the big year, like the big year the was event. Jamie Gold. Yeah, 800 in the main event. And then, of course, uh, over 8,000 the year Jamie Gold won. But uh, we'll see what happens at the main event this year. Uh, 51 of the 89 events will be no limit hold'em. So we do see some other uh, events uh, going on. Uh, 20 of the events on the schedule would have a buy-in of 10,000 or higher. There's a couple extra uh, high roller events this year, including a $50,000 buy-in Poker Players Championship, which is normal. But a few of the other events will uh, be a little bit higher. There'll be some other things there. Uh, I think there's a $100,000 buy-in tournament. No uh, big one for one drop this year. But like I said, very limited pool of players that can play in those type of games. The other, the other thing I found was interesting is they will have uh, the Colossus this year, which was 565 buy-in last year and had over 20,000 players. Uh, th- or at least one year they had over 20,000. Uh, this year is only $400 for the buy-in. For the Colossus? For the Colossus. Well, because those numbers started to really go down a little bit. You know, yeah. I think it went from almost 21 to 17, and then what was it, like 12 or 13 higher. last year? 40,000 uh, starting chip stack in that tournament. Uh, there's also one called the Big 50, which is a new tournament this year. $500 buy-in, and uh, that's to celebrate the 50th anniversary. Uh, $500 buy-in, $5 million guarantee. That should be a very uh, large tournament. Um, the first buy-in for every participant is rake-free in that, that Wow, event. very nice. And it will be a re-entry, so uh, they'll have that. There's a few other things. There's going to be a tournament this year called the Bracelet Winners Only. You have to have won a bracelet at a World Series previously to get in this event. Uh, well, that's an interesting concept right 1,078 there. 1,078 gold bracelet winners in the past have secured the honor, so uh, you need to win a title well, if you want to get into how it. How many of them are still with us? That's true. Uh, that tournament's on July 10th, so it'll be later uh, around the main event. Uh, there is a 50,000 No Limit High Roller event. Uh, there's a, something called the Mini Main Event, which is a instead of being a 10,000 buy-in, it's a 1,000 buy-in. <laughs> Don't we have a bunch of those already? <laughs> and the blinds, instead of uh, the one, uh, two-hour levels in the main event, will be 30-minute levels. So that kicks off on July the 1st. I mentioned the Gavin Smith Memorial Poker Tournament. That kicks off on May 28th, the beginning of the series at 6 p.m. Uh, $200 buy-in, half of which will go to the Gavin Smith Trust for his uh, family. Well, that's good. Uh, Salute to Warriors, $500 buy-in bracelet event. Runs from July 2nd through the 5th. And uh, WSOP plans to donate $40 from each entry to the USO and other veterans organizations. Uh, they'll use the big blind ante in all Hold'em events. And just I believe that's just going to be the norm going forward, Dave. Right, probably so. Uh, also, we'll uh, take a quick look at the uh, TV streams. Uh, the schedule for Poker Go has not been released, but they've said that there probably will be coverage nearly every day. On Poker Go. But as far as ESPN, they're going to cover the main event. Uh, They will be showing every day of the main event, at least some portion of it, mostly on ESPN2. But that starts on the 3rd 
of the fourth of uh, July, July third, July fourth, and July fifth will be the starting days, one uh, A, one B, and one C, and the coverage on ESPN will start in the evening, eight thirty, nine o'clock in that time frame, and then every day of the tournament, including uh, the final day, day ten, which is the final three players, they will have some coverage on uh, the half hour tape delay on Excellent. ESPN. So that one's good. Should uh, be enjoyable. Yeah, a lot of tournaments and a lot of fun. Uh, kicks off, as usual, with the Casino Employees event, which is a $500 buy-in on uh, the 29th. And that will be the day after the uh, charity event. And then they'll kick off some of the big tournaments, like a uh, $10,000 uh, short deck tournament on uh, June the 2nd, $10,000 heads-up tournament on uh, July the 5th, a $1,500 horse, if you like that sort of thing is also on July the 5th. Uh, several of the big $10,000 events, like the horse tournament, is uh, this, uh, on the 11th. Um, the seniors, super seniors, is on the 17th. And the, don't see the, when the seniors is here, but the ladies will be playing on June the 20th. And the whole list of tournaments, so something for everybody, obviously, including the $50,000 Poker Players Championship, which is this year, is on the 24th of June. So um, that'll give you an idea. A lot of stuff going on. Of course, all the other tournaments. Uh, the tournament at the Venetian, the deep stack schedule, kicks off earlier. That kicks off on the 13th of May. So if you go out there a couple weeks early, you can get in there as well. So a lot of stuff. Less than a month, though, before the start of the tournament, and we'll be watching it all this year, as we usually do here on Poker Action Line. Uh, bumped up our numbers last year right around that time, so we hope that'll do that again. That would be very nice. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Gio, for everything. And uh, we'll be back with another edition of the show. I'm working on trying to line up uh, the CEO of Faded Spade Card Company and talk a little bit about how uh, they develop uh, new cards for the game and what's happening in that. They had some problems a few years ago at the World Series with another company. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Joe has a good bit of expertise in that regard. We hope so for next week. Okay. <laughs> That's going to do it. We'll see you next week on another edition of Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies.